Welcome to Sojourner's Spirituality. In this program, we're going to explore the stories of those who practice various systems of spirituality and find out more about the many different paths that we as humans walk. I understand that there are many different views, creeds, and beliefs, and we invite each guest to state their story, what they believe, and how it impacts their life. The purpose of this program is to educate each other and give individuals a chance to state what they believe and how they came to where they are. Oral history and experiences with regard to spirituality have had a special place for millennia in all cultures. But the age of technology has made possible the sharing of ideas, in many cases that has also led to the severing of human bonds and ties. It is my hope that among the stories of each other, we can find some part of that commonality which we have lost. With us today is Jessica, and how are you today, Jessica? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on here. And what would you call your spirituality? I call myself a witch. And what does that mean to you? Does that mean like broomsticks and pointy hats? Or what does being a witch mean in 2020? Uh, well, for me, being a witch means that um, keeping like my vibration high doing a lot of cleansing and protecting and also understanding the power of my own will to be able to manifest my intentions in the world around me. Um, I also consider myself to be a polytheist, uh, which means that I believe in multiple deities around me at a specific time. Uh, I don't consider myself to be a Wiccan because that's not the specific system that I follow. So I go out to be, I, I call myself a witch, just because it's very similar to Wicca, mm-hmm. but I, I don't consider myself to, to be Wiccan, but I, I still follow witchcraft. What would you say the main differences between what you practice and Wicca are, just so we could tell by way of... Um, well, Wicca has a lot of different forms in it, like you could be comedic or gardenarian, mm-hmm. or... Uh, Different things like that. It's a specific system, and you follow that system. Right. I consider myself to be much more eclectic, being able to uh, collect from different belief systems that work for me to be able to create my own version of witchcraft without following a specific uh, a specific creed or uh, spiritual doctrine that's been set down by a tradition. That makes sense. When you say you follow your own creed, do you have, um, when you are in the process of following your own creed, do you have certain deities you venerate over others? Do you have certain traditions you're building for yourself to set your own thing in order? Or is it more like a reflexive thing? Like, what I mean by reflexive is, reflexive, I'm sorry, is based on what you feel is necessary in your life at that point you go to there. I'd say it's kind of a mixture. I do follow uh, the Wiccan read or the Witches read. Uh, I normally call it the Witches read. Mm-hmm. Any harm none, do what you will. That's a good guiding principle for me when it comes to when I'm doing working, mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature, and even just living my life. Uh, that's a big backbone of what I do. Uh, I also... I do believe that a person's matron or patron influences a lot of 
what they end up doing. Uh, my matron is Isis, so I feel like she pushes a lot of the magic aspects of the craft because she's one of the goddesses of the, the, goddesses of the magic, uh, among other things. Uh, but I don't follow a lot of Egyptian stuff, even though she did originate in Egypt as a set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also work a lot with Ganesh and Frigga, and those pe- those deities do influence a lot of what I practice because I resonate with them. We we have a relationship, and that is always going to inform what you practice. But you do just kind of go with what works for you, and your spirituality is always growing and evolving, mm-hmm. and you're adding things to it. Um, like I recently became very interested in making incense to be able to have the specific vibration I wanted in um, in my working or for Sabbat. And I, that wasn't something I was interested in earlier. So now I went out and I got that knowledge to be able to do that better. Right. So you do go out and you, you try to learn different things and incorporate them into your practice. How does one go about, um, in your opinion, how does one go about establishing and nurturing a relationship with a deity? I'd say that there's uh, multiple ways to do that. Um, when it comes to um, setting up a relationship with a deity, you can seek one out and be like, I really resonate with the stories of... Isis. I am going to go research her. I'm going to reach out to her. It's going to be great. But then there's also the other message I call it the pagan high dive method where some deity grabs you and pumps you off and it's like, you're working with me now! And they don't, it's like, they give you a choice because you can always be like, I'm not comfortable with this. I And it has to be a two-way street. But they're basically putting up a neon sign in front of you and being just kind of like, I'm your matron or I'm your patron. You're going to work with me now. And they choose you. Uh, and then you still have to go through the methods of you still have to research them. You still have mm-hmm. to meditate and do shamanic journeying and learn about them from them and from others to figure out what your relationship is going to look like with them because it could be completely different from someone else who follows the same deity. And if you came to someone who, uh, if you both worship the same deity and you had major differences in your practice, how would you explain that? Like, if, for example, someone else said, well, I think it's supposed to be done this way, and you said, well, I think it's supposed to be done this way, how would you, how would you reconcile these? Um, usually you can just chalk those differences up to how that deity wants worship from that person or wants to be worked with from that person. Uh, I typically just take that as personal preference and unless it's something I've assumed to be uh, dangerous, which would be very incredibly rare. There's not a whole lot of dangerous stuff I've come across in deity worship. Um, but I, you just basically have to like, hey, you 
you do the things the way you get spiritual fulfillment from it, and I'll do the same, and we're both going to be happy. And that's kind of the goal. Are you able to practice your religion publicly or your faith? Or I know those are kind of related words, because, you know, religion, faith, spirituality, they all have different nuances. But um, I wouldn't say I'm in the broom closet, but I'm not, like, wearing a pagan pride shirt out in public. Yeah, that gives you a lot of weird looks. Or if you yeah. put your pinnacle under your shirt, that too. It does. It does get you a lot of weird looks. Um, but I would say that if someone were ever to ask me, are you a pagan? I would be like, yep, I am. Uh, but I just try to not bring it up with people just because I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want them to be uncomfortable. So we just try not to, I try not to talk about religion with people that I don't know. That's always a good policy. Keep a lot more friends that way. With paganism, since, as you correctly stated, it's often when it's brought up, it's kind of like an elephant in the room for a lot of people, or it's topic down for they're sure how to deal with How did you actually get your introduction into it? Uh, my introduction to paganism came in graduate school. I was actually the good Christian sorority girl in college, and then in graduate school, I had a friend, and who later became a roommate, who she pretty much defined herself as pagan. Uh, her beliefs weren't exactly formal or anything, but she introduced me to the concept of deity and the reed and just this whole broader world, and also around her, weird stuff started happening. My... I don't even know how to describe it now, but it really weirded me out at the time. Um, yeah, she, she got me tarot cards, and we would sit and talk, and everything just made sense. And so as I got older, I started looking into it even more. And next thing I know, I meet a high priestess up here in Wyoming, and she invites me to, like, if I want to learn more, she's starting a coven with a bunch of people who are new to the craft. And if I'm interested in attending, I am more than welcome to. And next thing I know, I'm, a few years later, I'm a high priestess of a coven myself. <laughs> What's it like being able to, for you, going from a more isolated or solitary practice to actually being able to practice in a group? Did that bring a lot of change to how you practice? Well, because I kind of actually did the opposite. My first real introduction to where I actually I describe it as let myself believe, because for years, I just, for about uh, one or two years, I was just kind of like, okay, I accept this as the reality, but I don't, didn't really do anything about it. I didn't have a practice. Then when I was invited to join the coven by my elder, she taught me the basics, and I was able to develop a practice, and she encouraged us to go out and figure out what we believed, who our matrons were, patrons, and to really find ourselves, and I did. And then, after a few years here, I moved to Texas for a couple years, and there I had to practice by myself for the first time. That was weird. 
because I didn't have the community. I didn't have um, my sisters and brothers in the coven to kind of to keep it accountable and to be able to share the sabbats with every single time. Uh, and then I moved back here and was folded back into the coven, which I now lead. And it was, it is a very different experience being a solitary versus being in a coven. It's just, it's night and day. It really is. It's very hard to describe the bond you get with the people in your coven or circle, or whatever you want to call it, when you are able to practice the sabbats yeah. with them. And speaking of the sabbats, we are coming up on fire one belting, right? Yep, belting. What does that mean to you as a um, eclectic witch? Huh? Well, I do still follow uh, the Wheel of the Year as the story of the season. Mm-hmm. And so this one's you're belting, you're celebrating the marriage of the god and goddess, and there's the dancing of the maypole, the jumping of the uh, belting fire. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a pretty fun one. I, I know it gets a lot of people thinking about love and passion and the coming of the warmth and uh, it's kind of uh, the arc between Ostara, Beltane and Midsummer is just kind of this like growing of fun and along with the warmth so uh, Beltane's the more of the, the passion in there um, so yeah, Beltane, uh, the few times I've gotten to dance in Maple, that's been a lot of fun. And I always enjoy jumping in the Beltane fire, so. That is quite an experience. And mm-hmm. I don't think I'll have a Maple this year, but I have, no, I have done around the Maple. And it's, it's really something everyone should experience in their life, I think. I oh, think. they should. And the bigger, the better. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. This year, my cousin's not getting together for Beltane just because of coronavirus, which stinks. But we're figuring out what we're going to do. Instead, we're probably going to live stream a ritual so everyone can still have the same experience, even though we can't be physically together. That would be a very interesting idea. I've, um, with online uh, connections, it's often for a lot of people if they're somewhere that they don't have a coven or a circle they can join. It's often the only tool they have. And I've found there are a lot more aliens on the internet than there were ten years ago, or especially fifteen years ago. That's a lot more out there than it used to be. Oh yeah, especially with pages like Facebook where different pages can be active in a bunch of different groups. Yes, definitely. Well, um, I think that about wraps it up. If, if you were talking to someone who was interested in paganism, what, what would you tell them if they were interested in looking for a start? Um, well, I would say two things. One is to get some solid introductory books like Cunningham or uh, Buckland's Wicca for one. If they were interested in witchcraft, those are you can't go wrong with Cunningham and Buckland for some basic introductions. And then the second thing I would say, which I actually have given this advice out a lot, uh, is to start listening to that voice in the back of your head that you know isn't yours, that you just kind of dismiss it. Uh, 
don't dismiss it. That is spirit. That is your instincts. And if you listen to that voice, you feed it and you get to the practice of it, you'll hear it more and more in your connection with spirit and with the universe will grow and that will teach you what you need to know about not just witchcraft but basically any of the pagan paths you want to get in touch with it'll it, it will guide you I really wish I listened to that more it's something I have to always practice same yeah. <laughs> well uh, thank you so much for joining us Jessica I think that wraps it up okay well thank you very much Mark you have a great evening you too Jessica